You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. This is episode 17 you're listening to, which, can I say, goodness gracious, we're already on episode 17. It feels like it feels like years ago that we were on episode 5 and 6, and here we are, all the way about to crack into the, the big 20. And if you've been listening since those early episode 1, 2, and 3 days, I want to commend you and say thank you for sticking with us this entire time. And also to our new listeners, if this is your very first episode, then welcome, or if you've only been listening for a little while, then an extra welcome to you too. We hope that this will be a beneficial thing for you, and it certainly is for us. And as always, I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder that on whatever platform you're listening to, take a moment right now and just like, subscribe, whatever that positive interaction is, that's going to help us continue to spread this podcast farther and farther and farther out. And it's always a good thing to get new listeners. Awesome. So where are we going today, guys? Well, we're going back to the devil. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, going back to the devil. And we're going to I'm talk about devil the... music. The, de- the devil needs a better theme song, like a better sound effect than dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, we need like... Uh, That's actually yeah. what we're talking about today. That was an unintentional segue. That's true. That works. <laughs> Even when he doesn't mean to, Nathan Van Horn coming in here with those transitions. It's like so... being a winner and a loser at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> So last time we we kind of went all the way through to the very end of the chapter nearly, but we kind of skipped over and we kind of kind of breezed through all these curses and stuff. So I think that's where we're going to be in today. Is that right? Just just like the last two episodes worked in tandem, uh, the next two episodes are also going to be unpacking two sides of of something Matt mentioned in our previous episode. He talked about the proto evangelium. Uh, which is this first gospel or prior gospel that really sets the stage for how Scripture unpacks uh, after the Garden of Eden. And and we're going to talk about half of that today, uh, you know, the fate of the serpent figure. All right. uh, I'll just remind you guys that uh, I don't have, you know, all those fancy degrees that you all have in the long years of education. So I've heard the word evangelium before, but I'm going to need you guys to break that down for me. What does that mean? Well, uh, first of all, it's not English. I think that's pretty obvious. And it's also not Hebrew or Greek. It's Latin. And it's just a tool. It's just a literary phrase that means first gospel. So as systematic theologians through the years have pondered the biblical text and they've thought about what the gospel it is and how it's found in the entirety of Scripture, this is the first place, the proto, all right, the first place where we find the gospel. And that's what's referenced here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. And we'll talk today about why it's the first gospel and also how that that approach is helpful, but seeing it only as the first gospel is far too narrow 
because it's going to play a much wider role in the story than just like, hey, this is what's going to happen to Jesus. There's more good news than you think in the bad news. Oh, man. What a great line. Hey, that's a, that's a good thing. I can get behind that. Yeah, so um, so like Matt's saying, this is a concept that goes back to early church history. In the middle of the second century, you have guys like Justin Martyr and uh, some people pronounce his name Irenaeus. Others say Irenaeus. Um, but they refer to this as, you know, this is the first uh, glimmer of the gospel. This is a... Uh, this is these are words that are pointing forward in the story beyond themselves, uh, and it's some say this is the first messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. Yeah, it makes me wonder if that the story at the end of Luke's gospel account, if Jesus started with Genesis three fifteen when he was on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. Like I, w- I wonder if he started with Genesis three fifteen. Wouldn't it be funny though? But you know like, what's interesting kinda... about that proposition. Uh, hand in hand with him showing them how all the scriptures pointed to him, he also opens their eyes in the context of giving them a meal. Yes, oh, that's good. That's really good. Of course, it would be kind of like ha ha he he funny, just for you know, <laughs> all us theologian types. If like, <laughs> uh, you know, he didn't start with Genesis three fifteen. Instead, he started in Isaiah somewhere, and then like the disciples on the road to Emmaus were like, "Well, what about Genesis three fifteen? And he's like, "Nah, <laughs> nothing to see there." That's just you're reading into it. That's eisegesis. Well, there it is. That actually brings up a question. <laughs> that brings up a question I have because, and for you listeners who have been with us for a while, one of the very first propositions we put forward in this podcast is that it may be unhelpful to try and read Jesus into places where he necessarily wasn't because that could cause us to miss the fuller context and message of these early things. So in essence, letting our knowledge of what's going to happen taint Mm. us reading it here. So I'm interested to see how this plays out now that you're calling this the the proto-evangelion. And can can I respond to that before we move forward? Sure. So two things. One of the things that we've tried to stress is that we almost never want to exist in an interpretive vacuum. So uh, like I said, Matt and I are not the first ones proposing this as a proto-evangelium, right? This this is an idea that goes back at least to Justin Martyr, about 140, and Irenaeus, about 160, uh, you know, on either side of the halfway point um, of the second century. But we will actually contend that you have evidence for the Bible itself interpreting this scripture in the way that we're going to set forth today. And we'll probably build to that in today's episode. But you have evidence in the New Testament uh, that this verse was already being understood that way. Is that fair? Yes, that is. In, to Gandalf's comment about reading Jesus back into the text, I had a professor in seminary when we would talk about exegesis, which, by the way, exegesis is bringing out what is in the text. It's reading out of the text, and its opposite, eisegesis, is reading your ideas, preconceived notions, into the text. And so, for instance, what you're describing about reading Jesus back into the Old Testament is often eisegesis. It's reading Jesus back into the text. And I had a professor that would do a play on words. He said, you know, once you go to seminary and you learn how to use the Bible and you get passionate about the gospel, he said, you start to commit the fallacy of I see Jesus instead of I see Jesus, but I see Jesus like everywhere. 
He's like, because, you know, oh, I'm going to go read Jesus into everything. I see Jesus here and I see Jesus here and I see Jesus here. He said, there's a whole lot of ICG. He was actually referring to my seminary, uh, Southern Baptist Seminary. He said, there's a whole lot of IC Jesus that goes on around here. He said, but That's just hilarious. read the text for what it is. All right, then. Well, on that note, speaking of reading the text, uh, I will read verses 14 and 15. Is that right? You got it. All right. And as always, this is the ESV version of the Bible. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Very good. Thank you, Accelerated Reader. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, what's going, on? what's going on in these verses? So, first of all, let's just, uh, you've probably, if you're familiar with Bible study, and I know that if you've been, for instance, in our denomination, there is a Bible study that came out a few years ago called The Gospel Project. And The Gospel Project starts with this verse. It starts with Genesis 3.15, and it builds this, this theme, this, this red thread that goes through the scriptures of talking about the one who is going to come to crush the head of the devil, to crush the head of the serpent. But let's just like start ground level. Let's like we must unlearn what we have learned. Okay, Ooh, to throw some Master throw Yoda. some Yoda in here. So let's just pretend we don't know the rest of the story, and we're just working through this. Let's just start real basic ground level stuff here. First of all, who's doing the talking? Who is he talking to? That's a good point, Matt. It's like you told me. We we all get that God's doing the talking. But we almost read these verses as if God is talking to us. Here's Correct. mankind. Here's your hope. But he's actually speaking not a word of hope to the man or the woman. He's speaking a word of condemnation to the serpent. That is a great observation. And it's it's so obvious because it's right in front of us. And yet we're so used to talking about the first gospel, the proto-evangelium, that we misread Genesis 3. But he will get to what he's going to say to the man and the woman in verses 16 and 17. But right now, God's doing the talking, and he's talking to the devil. So, 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 the, what, so what we call our first good news is really his first bad news. Right. So <laughs> that's right. So it is actually the Proto-Evangelium is, if you put it in context of who he's speaking to, is bad news. But it's not bad news for us because he's not speaking to us. So there's just a, a couple of details that you see uh, first and, and foremost here. Oh, also, Nathan, why don't you point out what you did last week? It was helpful talking about the the verb tense of the participle of the curse. Yeah, Matt, I'm glad you uh, mentioned that. That's something I actually wanted to say today. Last week, one of the things that we noticed in God doling out the consequences of their disobedience is that in some instances, God speaks actively in an active voice, like in verse 15, I will put hostility. But some of this is spoken in a passive voice, using passive participles. And it's interesting to the serpent, he says, cursed are you, or you are cursed more than any livestock. So just like Adam's sin uh, resulted, without God having to do something active, resulted passively in a cursing for the ground, all creation is effective. Likewise, because of the serpent's involvement, you get the mention that all of the uh, living animals, the livestock, are cursed. And yet the serpent is not 
among the livestock. This is a spiritual being, right? And so the interesting thing is these are ground creatures and he's going to be cursed above them by be putting where? Below them. Uh, I think that's I think that's so interesting. And so you have over and over again with the devil figure um, who, again, is can disguise himself as an angel of light, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. But elsewhere, the primary uh, visual imagery we get is that of a serpentine, uh, dragon-like figure. Or like Jesus in the Gospel of Luke saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Um, the serpent who is this, you know, this spiritual being in the garden on the mountain will be cast down, but he's not just cast down off the mountain. He's below the earthly creatures. It reminds me also of Isaiah 14. We've gone there several times, but let me read to you uh, Isaiah 14 verses 14 and 15. And this comes from the Holman Christian. It says, I will ascend, or actually let me back up and read 13. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. By the way, stars of God, we remember who those are. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will send above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you will be brought down to Sheol into the deepest regions of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and they will look closely at you. Is this the man who caused the earth to tremble, who shook the kingdoms? Uh, of course, we've talked about those passages and how they fit together and how they work, that it's not a direct reference to the story of the devil, but it's tapping into this theme that's about the devil. Um, it, it's just when you're talking about the, being put under the animals, that's the imagery that's being referenced there in Isaiah 14. Okay, so I've got to ask a question then, because this has always been a point of confusion for me. When it's talking about on your belly, you shall go and you shall be below all the beasts of the field— that that's got to be talking about like in terms of status, right? Like you're being brought down low because I have definitely heard this taught that like snakes used to have legs and now part of the curse is they don't have legs and that now they are physically on the ground. So uh, you must unlearn what you have learned. No, <laughs> I've never been quite convinced by that, but I have heard that. Before. Yeah, I, I've heard that too. I've heard that too. And I think if you've grown up in uh, a young earth creationist church, as I did, um, and if you have been heavily influenced by Answers in Genesis, as, as I have, um, there is a temptation to put an overly literal, over, over literal understanding of this. And by the way, uh, young earth creationists and answers in Genesis people, all those, that's, that's not a critical comment. There are brothers and sisters in Christ love them dearly. Okay. We're uh, just saying that that's not what's being dealt with here. Correct. That's what, that's what's being said. I, I would say you get uh Gandalf. I would say you get a, te a, a hint in the text in the very next words. Yes. That we're not is. dealing with a legs versus crawling issue. Because he says, you will move on your belly. Again, you'll move on your belly associated with being, what, satiated from eating? How did he cause them to stumble through a meal? Again, it keeps coming up. And you, you who just, uh, you who just tricked them into eating something they were, they were not supposed to eat, you will eat dust all the days of your life. What's interesting about that? Where did we first see dust in this story, Gandalf? It's what... Man was made out of outside of the garden. Ding, 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 ding. Got it. How interesting is it in the passage Matt read 
He says, you won't just be cast down earthward. You will be cast down all the way into Sheol. And then you have this, from that moment forward, you have this association with the devil and hell. It's interesting, even in the teachings of Jesus, uh, say in Matthew 25, uh, when he's talking about dividing those on his right from those on his left, the whole sheep goats passage. Have you ever paid attention to what he says in judgment to those who are not on the right side of that equation? He says, enter into the hell. What? That was prepared, prepared for you. Not for you, but prepared for the, for the devil. devil and his angels. That's it. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. So uh, one, go ahead. I want to. I want to ask uh, Gandalf a question, tapping okay. into what you're saying. So, Gandalf, because I know you love literature, I know you love ancient mythology, and uh, you know all modern stuff and all that. If I started describing someone to you from, and I just said, who am I talking about in fiction? His abode is in the underworld. He feeds on the death of humanity. He is underneath all he has been exiled from the mountain of God. And because he feasts on death, he is now the Lord of the dead. I am thinking of Hades from ancient mythologies. And again, ding, ding, ding. Like this is where this imagery comes from. It comes from right here in Genesis chapter three. You know what's so neat since you brought up Hades in Greek mythology? Um, it's interesting. We've talked about two key images, right? In creation, God demonstrates his sovereignty. God who dwells on the cosmic mountain, Eden, in mm -hmm. the garden on the mountain. The God of the mountain demonstrates his sovereignty by being over the waters and now over the grave, right? Correct. Who, who, is, who is that royal triumvirate in Greek theology? or Greek mythology, excuse me. You have Zeus, the storm god on the mountain, Hades, the god of the underworld, and Poseidon, god of the seas, the three brothers. That's so interesting. Um, you, I, So I believe that the Bible is the true story. I keep stating Correct. that outright. The, but I, the myth but you that can, is true. You can see how it's a story that gives birth to other stories, right? Correct. Um, so it, it's neat. The serpent... Uh, who, of course, we're associating with the devil, Satan, the serpent who set in motion death for them through what they ate will now feed on death the rest of his life. And he's going to drag on his belly. So this is not the proto-evangelium. It's the proto-evangelium. Oh, <laughs> how long have you been I'm sorry. No, it, hey, it folks, just, we're going to see honestly, you next week. Um, <laughs> honestly, just this has been the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast signing off. <laughs> the that doesn't even get a shalom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All you right, know, Matt, it, just, it hit me out of nowhere. Just to be honest, <laughs> I, I keep I keep thinking that I've heard every lame, corny pastor pun. <laughs> we could add that to the list. Thank you the for proving me wrong. Evangelium. <laughs> I, I hope Haley listens to this episode so she can turn to me and say, "Really, you're not so bad." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But to the point. But clever because, is clever. That was a good point. Yeah. To the point, to the point that we use Genesis 3.15 to talk about the triumphal victory of the salvation of God, and we use Genesis 3.15 to focus on redemption, that's not the main point of Genesis 3.15. It's not about the good news. It's about the bad news. 
because who is he talking to? He is talking to the serpent. So if we unlearn what we have learned, this is way more about the belly and the dust than it is about the crushing of, uh, the, or the fact that the woman crushes the head. This is not the promise to the woman. This is the assurance to the serpent that he's doomed. So it's interesting that the proto-evangelium, this first gospel, first hope, is actually an indirect hope because it is rather the first declaration of destruction of the devil and all of his workings. This is God pulling a Babe Ruth and like pointing to the outfield fence and calling his shot. Oh, uh, that's good. In, in full like side, in full side of the pitcher who thinks he's thrown his worst at God. Right. Oh man, what a great illustration! I'm going to use um, that. <laughs> he's like, here's what I'm going to do, and here's how it's going to go down. And and Matt, since you mentioned the whole that he's talking to the serpent thing. You mm-hmm. and I have talked about this. It's worth stating in the podcast. I hope it doesn't get us tarred and feathered. Uh, we're going to use the New Testament to support us not getting tarred and feathered, <laughs> but you never know how that shakes out. Because no one sets out to get tarred and feathered, right? Yeah, no, correct. That's right. Uh, one, we'll one, go kicking one and screaming all the way. One moment you're doing a podcast, the next you're being burned at the stake. Anyway, <laughs> um, right after he talks about moving on your belly and eating dust all the days of your life, he continues talking, still speaking to the serpent. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. And you're between... saying hostility. That's what wor- the word enmity means. If you're reading ESV, it's just yeah, think of I, it as hostility, friction. I, Iva in friction. Uh, Hebrew. Hostility, enmity, not good relations. These are not peace talks. Uh, but I will put hostility, enmity uh, between you and the woman, Right. And between your offspring and her offspring. Now, what's so interesting, uh, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And there's a lot we can unpack there. What's so interesting is we have no problem thinking about the offspring of the woman. Though we go, we punch straight to Christ, right? We go, we play the Jesus card pretty quick here. But have you noticed there's almost never any reflection on the offspring of the serpent? In other words, the tension between the woman and the serpent continues and gets resolved by characters other than just the woman and the serpent, right? That's 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 plain there right on the surface of the text. We talk about the seed of the woman, ultimately Jesus. leading up to Jesus. And, and you and I have talked, you have several almost prefigurations of that in the Old Testament uh, where, uh, you know, the servant of God in some way will strike the head of the enemy of God. You know, is, is David and Goliath a little picture of that, you know? Especially if you, uh, when we get to talking about the Nephilim in Genesis six and how that uh, bears out in the story of, of you know the giants of Philistia, who are associated with the Nephilim in the narrative. Hmm. Um, uh, but we, we don't talk a lot about the offspring of the serpent, uh, and this is something that we will unpack. Satan is never seen to operate in a, again. He's not an equal and opposite power to God. He's a rebellious figure, but he also has rebellious forces, right? Correct. And going back to the story about the protagonist, who's the protagonist in the story, we need to think as God, of God as the author and the finisher, the narrator. Remember we talked about the whole Winnie the Pooh thing. The well, I like how you said he's he's the narrator who enters into his story as exactly. the perfect protagonist. I love that. Exactly. Said. And by the way, some speculated that uh, Tom Bombadil in uh, Fellowship of the Ring was, was serving actually, the same figure. Yeah, was was actually Tolkien. 
like he was reading himself into the text. Um, uh, of course, that's just pure speculation. Which we makes the know. fact that they left him out of even the extended edition of the movie all the more grievous. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what this podcast is about. Keep that's moving. not at all. But what's, what is interesting here is that when you talk about God as the author and the finisher, the protagonist really is man, and the antagonist is the devil. So I'm not saying that, hey, this is all about us. Certainly, everything is about God. We're to glorify him and uh, make his name known forever. But as the way the story flows, this is a story about man and his struggle with the devil and ultimately how God is going to enter into the story as a man. This is all God's story. But as you set up the story, this is this is how this works. This is how Genesis 15 is. The struggle is not between God and the devil. It's between the devil and humanity. This is plain Jane. You can see it right here in the text. This is the struggle because there is no struggle between God and anyone because God has no struggle with anything. Yeah, and, but it's, it is interesting. One thing Heiser points out is that both in the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, and in the earthly realm, God always accomplishes his will through his creations, right? Um, and so, you again, I, I just love the way that this is showing the thing that goes wrong in the spiritual realm and the thing that is now, as a result of that, gone wrong in the earthly realm, or perhaps simultaneously, um, God will be the resolving figure precisely coming as a man to solve. You know, I think, uh, think of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray in the, in the model prayer of Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done as in heaven, so also on the earth. Like Correct. the gospel is the solution to that, right? It's the thing that restores balance, order, unquestionable victory of who God is and the praise of which he is worthy in heaven and on earth. Um, but Matt, uh, one, one thing we've talked about is uh, sometimes, you know, we go straight to the gospel with this text, right? Right. Uh, and one thing that we see in the New Testament is that the New Testament, in a sense, goes beyond the gospel with this text. Uh, yes, I do, I do think this text is pointing forward to what Jesus will do for us on the cross and emerging from the grave, uh, resurrected, never again to die, holding the keys of death and Hades. But the New Testament does not stop there with this verse. Right. Um, Thinking like uh, Romans 16. Exactly. In fact, why don't you read that? That's that's a great place to wrap up this episode. Uh, well, there, and I wanted to say just a couple of other things, just so, because we introduced it, we introduced it, and then I don't want it to get lost, is that when we think of her offspring, we think of Jesus as the supernatural offspring of humanity. Well, the opposite of her offspring is his offspring. That's the serpent, your offspring. So what is that all about? Well, we're going to talk about that in future weeks, but when we think about the supernatural offspring of the people of God, we can think about the miraculous birth of Isaac, how God supernaturally intervened, and gave a baby so that the, the seed might go forward and carry the line ultimately to Christ, we don't think about its opposite. We don't think about, oh, well, what about the devil having offspring? And we don't think about it because we have 
not been taught to think about it. But there is a there is another line that is found in the Bible, not just the line of Christ, but the line of the devil. Regard regardless of how you interpret it, was it a literal line with the Nephilim and, and you know the the sons of God and all that? Was that literal? Is that figurative? They play a role, regardless of how you interpret it, as this opposing line. These descendants of the Nephilim are opposing the descendants of the promised seed. And one of the things I wanted to point out here in verse 15, notice what it says. I'll put it off, excuse me, not offspring. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's individual, meaning serpent and Eve. You all are going to have hostility. What does that mean? Who's he talking to? The devil. You're never going to get what you wanted out of these human beings. They're never going to serve you. Not, so it, not only is it not only is it not happening now, it's not happening ever. It's not happening ever. And in fact, not only are they not going to serve you, serpent, I'm going to use them to crush you. So really, it's truly, this is not the first gospel in the sense of hope for humanity. This is rather the first gospel in the sense of introducing the condemnation and the fall of the devil. And ultimately, uh, Christ's victory over him, which opens it up. All, but but it is neat. It is neat because this is all, you know, speaking to the proto-evangelium aspect of this, it is neat. There is a gospel component in this because the man and the woman just sinned too. <laughs> Correct. And so, but it is interesting that even while he's speaking condemnation for the serpent, that the serpent's demise is imminent, right? Right. But he's going to do that in such a way where mankind is delivered and rescued. And it's. I think it's also fair to see that this is worse. He's now cursed above the livestock because the ground is going to be cursed because of man. He's cursed more than that, and it's because of what you have done, that serpent, devil. You are cursed so much more than the rest of humanity. Absolutely. Well, hey, Matt, as we're wrapping up, I, I think the best way to close this episode, let's go to Romans 16 and capture what we've been talking about. Again, for the New Testament... Uh, this this proto-evangelium, Genesis 3.15, doesn't just point to the cross and the empty grave. It actually points beyond that to the people of God. Go ahead, Matt. Every time I read this verse, it reminds me of a song I learned in youth group. But anyway, um, Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Gandalf, when I read that verse, what do you notice? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What sticks out to you in that verse? Um, well, first, the, 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 the obvious reference back to the verse we just read, but also that it's, it's interesting that it's talking about the powerful God, but he's going to be working through mankind. That's right. Yeah. It's not through the feet of Jesus in this verse. It's through the feet of the church. This is post-cross. This is post-cross and resurrection. How interesting. Mm. So um, there is still ongoing hostility between the seed and uh, of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Now, I know it's just like, wait a second, because especially as Protestants, we want to put heavy emphasis on the cross, and, and that's not a bad thing. But however, there is a already not yet tension in the final blow to be delivered to the devil that, you know, theologians have been arguing about for years of how that actually fits together. But you can't miss 
the God of peace is going to crush Satan under the feet of humanity, under the feet of people. Well, thanks, guys, for joining me again this week. And listener, thank you for sticking with us, if indeed you still are. I know that when I listen to these guys talk and we're talking and we're talking talking about mythology and pop culture references, I always have some questions. But if you, the listener, have questions, I invite you that at any time, go ahead and go over to our website, betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. And there is actually a form where you can leave some feedback, input, questions, whatever. So if, like me, you have something that you want to say directly to us, go ahead and do that. And I promise we'll get back to you in some method or form or fashion. So thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. See ya. Shalom. So I guess we just finished another episode. (laughs) Another one bites the dust.